Amen. Thank you, Melissa. Great song, great thought, great job. Go ahead and get in your Bible to John 14. John 14, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you. It has a hard black cover. We'll be on page 793. 793, John chapter 14. I am glad that Christ lives in every true believer. Amen. Several months now on Sunday mornings, we have been talking about things that Jesus said exclusively to his disciples. At times, he spoke exclusively to those who did not yet believe. At times, in fact, probably most of the time, he spoke to a crowd that was a mixture of disciples and those who did not believe. Uh, but on occasion, even though he came into the world to seek and save that which was lost, on occasion, he spoke exclusively to his disciples. And I think I echo the view of most people here this morning, because likely most of you are uh, believers in Christ. Uh, I want to hear what Jesus has to say to his disciples. Amen. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, says the book of Hebrews which means that under the same circumstances, he would say the same things to us today that he said back then. Last week, we talked about Jesus telling his disciples to not let their heart be troubled on his last night with them. If you remember, he told them he was going away and that they could not come with him, and they were saddened by that news, and so he sought to encourage them. In fact, it encourages us as well to learn that his disciples need not ever let their heart be troubled. We talked about them needing to trust him with their heart, just like uh, they needed to trust him to be saved with the events of their life, to not let their heart be troubled. They needed to keep their eyes on the future instead of what was going on around them, to not let their heart be troubled. And we exhorted one another to not allow our mind to be overly burdened with worries and cares and anxiety because. Disciples of Jesus need not let their heart be troubled. Now, we could make a list of troubling things going on in our world and in America in particular, and even among those who call themselves Christian. Since the Apostle John laid down his pen when he finished with the inspiration of the Spirit, the last verse of the last book of the Bible in Revelation in the first century came to a close, there have been several things that have occurred in history, most particularly in the last century, just like the Bible predicted they would happen. Israel returned to her land in unbelief 70 years ago, just like God said they would 2,500 years ago. The world in general is getting worse and worse, and a one-world government is far more of a possibility today than it would have been even 50 years ago, just like God said it would 1,900 years ago. Technology has advanced, and the monetary system has changed to such a degree that when, in today's terms, we read about a mark that people would take that would keep them from buying or selling if they didn't have a mark, all of us understand that that technology is within our grasp today just like it was predicted 1,900 years ago. In fact, churches in America and all over the world in general are becoming increasingly ignorant of Bible doctrine. Even though the Scriptures clearly teach that 
in the latter days some would depart from the faith and exhorts us as believers to earnestly contend for the faith. Instead, Christianity in general is becoming increasingly ignorant and more today than at any time in the last 1900 years we can see a one world religion and the acceptance of all paths leading to God just like the Bible said would happen. Which brings up an interesting question. What kind of hope do we really have in the midst of what's going on around us? Can I say to you this morning very clearly and confidently, there is hope. In fact, the future event about which we are going to speak is called the blessed hope. Jesus made an incredible promise to his disciples on that last night to help them overcome their sadness, to help them battle a troubled heart, and it ought to do the same for us today. Amen. If you're able to stand, if you would stand this morning, please, in honor of God's word, what did Jesus say exclusively to his disciples? The title of my thought this morning is, if I go away, I will come again. If I go away, I will come again. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Thank you, might be seated. It was Christ last night before his passion at Calvary. Anybody who knows that it is their last day on earth spends that time carefully. Jesus chose to spend his last hours teaching and preparing his apostles one last time. Now, they had no idea he would, in a few short hours, suffer and die at Calvary, but Jesus was very purposeful in what he was doing that night. In fact, if they had known the future, they would have asked different questions. They would have listened better. They would have behaved differently. But the fact of the matter is, is they could not know the future, even though the future was literally a few short hours away. To them, it would have seemed like any other night. Jesus instructing them personally, them personally interacting with him. And that night after Judas left to betray Jesus, he hinted at what would happen to him, but they didn't understand. Chapter 13, verse 33, he says to them, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. Imagine how that would have struck them. I mean, they had basically followed him day and night for between three and three and a half years, and now they hear him say, I'm going away and you can't come. This troubled them. They didn't understand what he meant 
And as we talked last week, Jesus tried to comfort them, and we covered last week two things Jesus said to comfort them so their heart, like verse 1 says, would not be troubled. Remember, if you have a troubled heart and you're a disciple of Jesus, it's because you have let your heart be troubled. But there was a third thing that Jesus told them that was intended to be an encouragement to them as their heart began to be troubled with what he said. And notice they need not have a troubled heart because Jesus would return. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. He was leaving, but he would come again. In effect, Jesus says to them, I'm going away. You can't come with me, but I will return again for you. You see, the answer to their sadness at not being able to be with Jesus physically anymore was Jesus was coming back for them. The answer to their fears of the Romans and Jews who not only hated Jesus, but they hated them as well was Jesus was coming back for them. The answer to the mockery they would soon face from family and friends who had watched them and told them not to follow Jesus as carefully as they had done so, not to give up as many things as they had given up to follow him. The mockery they would endure would be able to be endured by that simple truth, Jesus was coming back for them. What a great comfort. (laughs) In times when you and I are tempted to let our heart be troubled that Jesus is coming again, for us. I hope you understand this morning that the solution to our world becoming increasingly wicked is not in Washington, D.C. or Columbus, Ohio. Uh, We should vote as Christians. We should support any righteous and just laws as we get an opportunity to do so. But understand, uh, the solution to the world's problems is not a political one. It is the return of Jesus Christ. By the way, uh, Thank God that our Supreme Court changed the law. They didn't ban abortion. They pushed it back to the states for those of you who are ill-informed. The solution to all of the confusion and lukewarmness in churches and among those who call themselves Christian is the return of Jesus Christ. Hear me when I say, when He comes back, He will sort it all out. (laughs) Now, when we think of Christ's promise to come again, a promise that has yet to be fulfilled, there are a lot of questions that come to our mind. When will Christ return? Why is Christ returning? Where will he return to when he returns? For whom will he come when he returns? What impact will his return have on the world? But more personally, when we think about the questions that him promising to come back brings to our mind, how about this? What will happen to me if he personally returns in my lifetime? What will happen to me if he returns personally in the next 15 minutes? Now, of course, in addition to the Bible itself, the final authority in all areas of truth, there are a lot of books on this particular subject, and some of them are actually even true to the Scriptures. 
I don't want to go into detail on this subject this morning. I did that in the Sunday nights of March and April of 2019. Uh, I, but I do want to talk about Christ's return enough for faithful disciples, just like his audience that night, the apostles. Uh, I want to talk about it enough for disciples to find comfort in that, mat, in that event. You see, for some, the sudden return of Jesus Christ at any moment, it is a fearful thing. And rightly so. For others, the sudden return of Jesus Christ is an event in which we are to find great comfort when we're troubled. See, if you're here this morning and you're saved and you're really, with all of your heart, you're keeping uh, yourself close to God, you're sincerely doing what Christ has asked you to do in life, listen, it is a great comfort to know Jesus is coming back for us. That we will finally see Him face to face. That's a great comfort. If you're a disciple and you're sincerely following Jesus, it's a comfort to know that the battle with our flesh and the world and the devil, it'll finally be over. The victory will be won. The problems you and I struggle with today will only be a distant memory. If you're here and you're a sincere disciple of Jesus, you're following Christ, you believe on Him, you know what He's asked us to do, and, and you're doing what He's asked us to do, the greatest ability you can, and you can keep your sins, confess, understand that this is a comfort because man's rule of terror will finally almost be over. <laughs> Because when Christ returns, there'll just be seven short years till He rules and reigns in righteousness. And we certainly could spend several messages on reasons to find comfort in Christ's return when our heart is tempted to be troubled. But for this morning, what I want to do is spend the balance of my time just answering one basic question. What should I do in light of Christ's promise to come again? Listen, you don't have to be a brain surgeon to understand what he said. If I go away, I will come again. No ifs, no ands, no buts. What should I do in light of Christ's promise to return? I'm glad you asked. Please turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, interestingly enough, is another section of the New Testament where Jesus is speaking exclusively to his disciples. This isn't something he said to the crowd. This was, again, exclusively to his disciples. This was spoken to them in that last week before his passion. In other words, this is something he said to them just a couple of days before our text from John 14. Matthew chapter 24, let's begin in verse 37. Matthew 24, 37. A lot of subjects in Matthew 24 and 25. One of them is the return of Christ. Notice verse 37. But as the days of Noe were, and that's the Greek spelling of the Hebrew name Noah. So as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, he shall make him ruler over all his goods. And we'll stop there for now. Here's the first thing. Number one, because of Christ's promise to come again, believers should be watching for his return. Did you see that in verse 42? Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. See, in contrast to believers watching, uh, having their eyes open, looking for Christ's return, the world, in contrast, will be carrying on like nothing's going on. That's from verses 37 to 39. In the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days uh, also in the coming of the Son of Man. In the days they were, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark and knew not till the flood came and took them away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The world is basically going to be carrying on like nothing significant's going on. In Noah's day, the Bible describes him as a preacher of righteousness to his world. But you know what? The world didn't listen and they didn't care. Uh, in Noah's day, he was building an incredibly large boat, about the size and length of a, a football field in half. If you've ever been to the Ark Encounter in northern Kentucky, you get some kind of a scope. And imagine how unique of an event that would be at the time to have that kind of a boat built. And word would spread for hundreds of miles that someone was building a boat like this. But you know what? Nobody cared. They just were living their life as if nothing significant was going on. I mean, it got to a point where animals at all, of, of all sorts were sent by God to the ark itself. No, it didn't gather them. God sent them. And imagine how unusual it would be if you were a human living anywhere in or around uh, him building that ark to see all these animals with which you're not familiar coming. And, and you know what the world did? Nothing. They just kept going and doing. They were marrying, giving him marriage. They were just working, coming home. They were just doing their thing. They didn't pay any attention to what was going on around them. The events in Noah's day were significant, but people were just too busy with their regular life to pay attention to the significance of what was going on around them until it was too late. What a tragedy. 
Hear me today when I say our world could care less of the significance of Israel coming back into her land uh, in 1947 or 8 or 9, I don't remember right now, in that time frame. Uh, they could care less even though they had not been a nation since 70 AD when the Roman general Titus sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. No one cares about the significance of that. The world, by and large, doesn't care uh, about the world becoming more wicked. They gripe about it being more wicked. Nobody's doing anything about it. There's going on with their life. The world doesn't care, nor does it even probably notice that the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ are becoming weaker and weaker and Christian people are becoming more and more confused and increasingly ignorant biblically. They don't care. And by the way, the world likes a watered-down version of Christianity anyway. Listen, biblical Christianity has a morality that we embrace. Biblical Christianity has a way that we treat other people that we're commanded to do. Biblical Christianity has a way we're supposed to conduct ourselves in our homes, a way we're supposed to handle our marriages and our children. Biblical Christianity has a way in which we're supposed to interact with one of the Lord's churches. The world doesn't care. They don't want that kind of Christianity. They just want to go on their own way. In fact, few in the world have any idea Christ promised to return beyond this general feeling in our world that everything's coming to a close. Have you noticed that even the world recognizes something's going on? Amen. There's a reason zombie apocalypse movies abound. There's a reason climate control people are apocalyptic. The earth has 11 years. You moron. You have no idea. Did you know, sir, the ocean used to be 400 feet shallower when it, than it is now? And ice birds, ice uh, came down to here in Ohio. Glaciers. Oh, the world's falling apart. That is, what? It's just in the human heart that it's wrapping up. Christ's return will not only heal any disciples of trouble's hearts, it will change everything in the world. <laughs> and though Christ's return will catch the world carelessly going about their business, Jesus wants his disciples watching for him. He said that in verse 42, watch therefore. Remember, therefore, linking that with what was just said, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Listen, if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, you're supposed to be watching for him looking for him, to be on guard, have your eyes open. We're not watching for Antichrist. We're not watching for the Great Tribulation. We're not watching for the Antichrist to sign a seven-year peace pact with Israel. We're watching for Jesus. Amen. In fact, his very last words to his people at the end of the book of Revelation were simply this, surely I come quickly, Amen. without delay. Are you watching for Christ? Are you like most people and you just go about your life and business as if Jesus didn't even promise to come again? You may be here and, and you're waiting to get right with God. You're waiting. 
to change things you know you need to change in your life. What are you waiting for? You really sure you'll have an opportunity to change? Amen. Listen, the people in Noah's day, um, God shut the door. It started to rain. It was too late. Amen. You're watching for Christ. In our day, ignoring the New Testament warnings of Christ's coming, will leave any unbeliever left behind. And you will face the Antichrist and all the terrible judgments of God. If you, listen, in Noah's day, if they blew off Noah, they died in a flood. You happen to be alive when that happened? Yeah, when it happened, they were left behind, they died in a flood. In fact, the only people spared were children who were of an age where they couldn't reject their Creator and His righteousness. By the way, when Christ comes in the air, every child and every believer will go to be with Him. Amen. That's supposed to be a comfort to those of us who know Christ and live for Him. <laughs> I hope it's a comfort to you. Let me ask you, when's the last time you thought about Christ's return? When's the last time you watched for that event instead of for some other event? But it's not just believers should be watching for Christ's return. Notice, secondly, because of Christ's promise to return again, believers should be living ready for His return. Look at verses 43 and 44. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched. It would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore... Remember that word? You ask what it's there for? Links what was just said. Therefore, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Verse 42, watch. Verse 44, be ready. On several occasions, the Bible likens Christ's return to a thief coming in the middle of the night. Any homeowner who knows a thief will arrive will be prepared for their arrival. Listen, you come in my house and threaten my family, I'll be prepared for you. Amen? Amen. But here's the deal. People don't know when the thief is going to come. There's a reason thieves come at an unexpected time. See, Jesus' illustration here, it's designed to teach believers to be ready for his return because we should be prepared for his return. Now, I know this is anathema to uh, a lot of you, but I like the wilderness. Now, a couple occasions, I've been literally 20 miles from the nearest outhouse. I mean, hours and hours and hours to get in and to get out. Can I just say that if you don't prepare for that when you get there, there's no coming back because you forgot your toothbrush. You see, because Jesus is coming again at an hour people will not expect Him to return, you and I need to be prepared at all times for Him to come. Are you ready for Jesus to return? Are you prepared? Amen. Now, many times in the past, if you know much about history at all, there have been a lot of people who have set dates for the return of Jesus Christ. By the way, anybody that sets a date for the return of Jesus Christ ought to immediately turn the volume off Listen, no man knows the day or the hour. 
And what happened when people set those dates and followed those false prophecies, they prepared at a time and in a manner that was inappropriate. Jesus made it plain that you and I, because we do not know the day nor the hour that we're supposed to live prepared to meet him. There's a story told about a guy years ago, he got a job as a railroad switchman. He was given weeks of training. His training was finally complete. His supervisor took him to the switch booth to test his readiness. His supervisor said to him, he says, suppose you're sitting here alone and you learn there's a train coming from the north on that track and another coming from the south. What would you do? The man said, well, I would grab that switch right there. I would pull it and put one train on the one track and the other train on the other track so they wouldn't crash. Supervisor said, well, what if the switch didn't work? The man said, well, I'd run down to the track and throw that backup switch uh, out there and put one train on one track and the other train on the other track so they wouldn't crash. The supervisor said, well, what if that backup switch doesn't work? The man said, well, then I'd come back in here and I'd call the dispatcher to stop both trains so they wouldn't crash. The supervisor said, well, what if the dispatcher's phone didn't work? The man said, well, I'd go call my Uncle Joe. The supervisor said, what? Well, Uncle Joe, what would he do? The guy says, nothing, but he ain't never seen a train wreck before. <laughs> uh, uh, listen, Jesus Christ wants us to be ready for his return, and his disciples are to be prepared. It's not a train wreck Amen. when you know Christ Amen. and you're living for him. See, the first preparation for Christ's return is to become a true Christian. A genuine disciple, a true believer in Jesus. Amen. Listen, no one becomes a true Christian because they sit in a church. People become true Christians because they humble themselves, admit their guilty sins in the sight of a thrice holy creator, and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him for their salvation instead of any other thing. Have you ever been born again? Amen. Jesus said, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Jesus said that you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You don't need to know that term, but you do, do need to have been through that experience. Have you ever received Christ as Savior? I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm not asking if you're better than other people you know. I'm not asking if you're a Baptist. I'm asking, have you ever called upon Jesus Christ, uh, asked Him to forgive your sins, to be your Savior? Have you ever been saved? It's actually sad to me that some people go through life without a confident assurance that Christ is in their heart. Because that's available to every true Christian. The Bible says God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Can I just say for me to sit in a congregation and have someone preach about hell or judgment or the lake of fire or the wrath of God, it doesn't bother me for myself, not one bit. Not one bit. Say, why? I know Christ is in my life. As a 24-year-old man, when I heard the gospel for the first time, God convicted me, and two days later, I called upon Christ. He changed my heart. 
I didn't know much at all. I just knew I didn't want to go to hell. I knew Christ died for me. I knew he was alive again. I knew he promised to save me if I would humble myself and trust him. That's all I knew. That's why I'm going to heaven. Are you? Listen, if you've not yet done that, today's a good day to humble yourself and receive Christ as Savior. In a few moments, we'll invite you to come and do that. It's a scary thought for some, but you know God knows every heart. He knows who's here because you have a heart to learn and a heart for Christ. He knows who's here. It's just putting on. Preparation for those who are unsaved is an application of our text, but it is not the interpretation of our text because Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. And so the interpretation of this text is the preparation that believers need to meet Christ. Now it's certainly true that every real believer will meet Christ in the air. Did you know that some believers will be living in a way when he returns that will leave them ashamed when Christ returns? They'll be filled with regrets and loss rather than rejoicing. If you take notes, write down 1 John 2, 28. It says, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Let me ask you this morning, if you are saved, are you ready for Christ to come back in the next 15 minutes? If not, why not? Listen, I get it. All of us have ugly moments where we get done with the moment and we say to ourselves, you know, that was stupid. Uh, Lord, forgive me. Or to anybody you offended in those stupid moments, forgive me. Uh, We all have those. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a believer who just willfully and purposely says, you know, God, I know you want this from my life. I won't do it. I know you want me to obey you in baptism. I won't. I know you want me to be committed to one of your churches. I won't. I know you have a morality that you want me to live by. I won't. Listen, what a terrible way to live. But it's not just that believers should be ready for Christ's return. By the way, for a believer, do you know what the solution to that is? 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The answer to that is not, well, I'm going to just go away from a church like this because you're going to preach against things I do. Listen, if what I'm preaching isn't in the Bible, talk to me afterwards. I'd I'd love to talk to you. Your issue isn't with me. No matter who you are, if you're Christian, like the prodigal son, you can come back from the pig pen. And your Father's there if you confess and repent. But it isn't just believers should be ready. Notice thirdly and lastly, because of Christ's promise to come again, believers should be doing what God gave us to do in life. Notice in Matthew chapter 24, verse 45, it says this, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? That's a good question. Who is Jesus going to consider a faithful and wise servant? Who is Jesus going to make ruler over his household and to feed his household in due season? 
Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. The blessed servant, the faithful and wise servant, is doing what the master asked us to do when he finds us. <laughs> See, some servants of Christ are faithful and wise, others somewhat so, some not much at all. But those servants that Jesus considers to be faithful, wise, those servants that Jesus will make ruler over his household are servants who are doing what he left you here to do. Let me ask you, are you doing what Jesus left you here to do? Listen, if you have breath, God has a purpose for your life. God gave every human being natural gifts. God gave every true Christian at least one spiritual gift. God has a purpose for your life. Are you doing it? See, far too often we think that God's purpose for life is only that someone would uh, be a missionary to a foreign land or someone would stand up on a rug from uh, Sam's and, and, and preach the Bible uh, in, in public in front of a bunch of people. No, you know, God has purposes for all of our lives. This just happens to be part of mine. Are you doing what Christ gifted and called you to do? By the way, that begins in our home. That begins in the way we interact with our family. That begins in how husbands and wives love one another and are committed to one another and treat one another. That continues as they make decisions and how they were raised and point their children. That continues into the kind of people we are in our workplaces and in our schools. That continues on to the, what kind of citizen we are in our country. Are we actually light and salt in a world that is dark and savorless? Are you and I something in this world that is different from this world? There's something gravely wrong when someone can say, Jesus Christ is in my life, and then they walk out of a place like this, and they're just like everyone else in the school. They're just like everyone else in the workplace. They're just like everyone else in the neighborhood. They're just like everyone else on your sports team. There is something distinctly wrong because Jesus Christ changes people. His purpose for your life and mine is to live a changed life for the glory of Christ. Did you know He wants us to enjoy life? He designed us to have relationship with Him. He designed us to have relationship with others. He designed us to do what He's designed us to do. Did, did you know He also wants you just to enjoy life, to enjoy the world in which He placed us? I hope this morning uh, there was at least some people walked outside and the morning sunshine came on your face and you thought to yourself, man, God, thank you for a beautiful morning. I'm just glad to be alive today. You see, you and I are not supposed to stop living, to stop working, to stop building relationships while we wait and are ready for Christ's return. We're supposed to live in the light of his return, but not stop living. Just because his return is closer today than ever before. Listen, don't stop saving for retirement. Save for retirement, understanding you might not get to. 
Don't stop planning vacations. Plan your vacation and understand you might not get to go. Don't stop teaching and training your children to become productive adults. Teach them and train them, understanding, you know what? They may not reach adulthood because Christ may come back. Don't stop taking care of your body. Don't stop taking care of your house. Don't stop getting a skill or an education to make something out of yourself in life. Don't stop giving your best to your ministry. All those things, do those, understanding. You may never do more than you've already done right now. Listen, it is absolutely possible that Christ could come back before I finish this message. And the nursery would be empty of children and hopefully all the workers. <laughs> and the church would be emptied of everyone who's a true believer in Christ. Listen, this event the Bible describes as a twinkling of an eye. Just like that. You will blink. And there'll be a bunch of piles of clothes neatly folded there. And you'll be sitting in your seat. And there will be no children in the nursery. There will be no children in children's church. And all that will be your future is waiting for the reign of the Antichrist to begin. Please, I plead with you in Christ's stead. Watch. Be ready. Do whatever it is he's designed you to do. Amen. 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 If you quietly stand.